0: Lifeway. Lifeway. LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the 5 Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, And today I am here with Max Lucado. And um, man, I'm really excited to be back with you again. He's been on the podcast before. Uh, and unless you're living under a rock, um, you know who Max is from numerous books, or if you have small children like I do, you also will very much recognize his voice um, as, uh, as one of many, many characters from the Hermes series or, or a bunch of different stuff. I, I have four children, Max. So um, while I met you when I was uh, an executive pastor at McLean Bible Church, um, you forever are now tied to cartoons as much as you are books. How does that, <laughs> that make you feel?
1: I love it. I love it. You know, I've, I've um, said more than once that if I could just do one thing, I'd write children's books. Uh, I, I just think they're fun to write. Uh, they have such a great uh, impact on on kids. And nothing makes me happier than when some youngster comes up and says, uh, did you really write Hermie? And <laughs> so that's great news.
0: Good deal. Well, um, I did want to talk uh, to you, of course, about the five leadership questions, but wanted to bring up, you do have a new book called How Happiness Happens. Uh, and, you know, for a lot of our listeners, they're they're going to be thinking, okay, we're talking about happiness. Uh, is this, you know, really a book for me? And I would say, well, um, the interesting thing to me as, you know, I began to thumb through it, look through it, it's really there's some really good practices, uh, for leaders. And one of those two things that I I wanted to really, um, draw in or focus in on was, uh, forgiveness and how forgiveness and happiness are intertwined. Uh, and you also talk about, um, conducting a funeral, uh, when we choose to forgive. So can you break that down before we get into our five questions?
1: Well, the big idea in the book is that we're happier when we make other people happy. And, um, I I think that the one another verses in the Bible, you know, there's 59 of them in all. uh, But the one another verses create a practical uh, way for us to truly lift the happiness of other people. And what we discover is that as we're making them happy, we're happy. What's fascinating about these one another verses is that research really bears each one of them out. And one of those is the one that you mentioned, forgive one another. Um, Duke Duke University listed eight characteristics of happy people. And uh, four of the eight had to do with releasing resentments or not harboring grudges. Uh, we get that. I mean, we know down to, we don't have to be convinced that we are better people and happier people when we forgive other people. But, but sometimes we may not realize the toll that resentment takes uh, on our spirit. And um, I would say that of the one another verses, this is the one that it is the most challenging, uh, forgiving people, because some of, some of your listeners have been really hurt. And so a good conversation about what forgiveness means uh, and how to move on is, is really essential. And one of the ideas that, I, that I, 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 I go in at length in talking about four or five steps to put us on the path of forgiveness, I believe if we're trying to forgive, we are forgiving, by the way. And one of those is to really conduct a funeral. Uh, just Just take that offense, take that offense, And after you've done all you can do to, you know, to deal with it, perhaps talk with the offender, you take that offense, you write it on a sheet of paper, you put it in a cardboard box, you go out in a pasture or backyard, you dig a grave, and you stand there in the presence of Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit, and you... you, you bury that, event. you you bury it. I don't mean suppress in, in the sense of pressing it down in your spirit. Nothing is gained by that. But I mean, you say, OK, we're going to put this in the ground. We're going to cover it up and we're going to we're going to move on with life. And whenever the devil brings it up and you know he will, you can honestly say, no, Jesus and I buried that and we have chosen to move on with life. We can take practical steps like that, Todd, I think, in in finding our way to forgiveness. And again, the more we forgive others, the happier we're going to be.
0: Okay, so second question I want to ask you, particularly because um, most of our listeners know early in the year, I was over in India doing um, leadership pipeline in some churches over there. The good news and the bad news is they have the same problems we do. Um, but the the big thing uh, that I learned just being on the ground firsthand was just how amazingly uh, pervasive the problem is uh, worldwide, but especially in their culture with social media just absolutely robbing us of our, our happiness, our our joy, um, you know, the, the rise in depression, then the research that you bring out in the book on depression, the number of people that would, you know, say that they're happy now versus a century ago is tripled, you know, all all of those things. Can you speak to
1: how you believe social media is affecting our happiness? I'm surprised to hear that. I'm surprised to hear that India of all play, I would suspect that here in the
0: U.S. What's fascinating, Max, is that um, you have 1.3 billion people, and close to 900 million of them have a smartphone. Now, it's not an iPhone, um, but they have a smartphone, and they are spending an amazing amount of time on it. So, it's YouTube is just we think YouTube is big here, and it is absolutely massive there. So. The way that they described it to me, because one of the people that I was there visiting with, um, they had a suicide in their family while I was there. And I'm just like, I don't understand. You know, what can you help me contextualize this? And it's that you have a, a third world country who has access to social media and can see everything mm-hmm. from, from their perspective. You know, they're, they're living on their phones even more than we are. Um, just to, as an escapism, but all they're seeing and being exposed to is, you know, all these people with all these different things and, you know, everybody highlight reel on social media. So we think we have a problem. Wow. Um, it's just exacerbated tenfold there.
1: So they, ju- they just live with a daily reminder or actually a minute by minute reminder of, of what they do not have. Is that it? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think I think that the oft-used uh, door to happiness is is the one that's described by uh, advertising companies. And, you know, if we can uh, acquire or retire, or we can drive faster, or drink more, dress trendier, and really happiness comes to depend upon what you what you hang in your closet, or park in your garage, or deposit in your bank account, or or wear on your wedding finger, or even serve at your your dining table. And when you feel like everybody else is finding this level of happiness and you're not, then I can understand because not only do you feel unhappy that you don't have it, you have to deal with the unhappiness that comes by the perception that everybody else has it and you don't. So that creates then that downward spiral uh, toward, uh, toward increasing. You're not just unhappy. But you're unhappy with yourself. You're not just unhappy that you don't have something, but down deep you become an unhappy, unhappy person. Uh, Of course, the Bible's approach toward happiness is uh, flips all of this on its head. Uh, uh, When Jesus said, "It is better to give than receive," I mean that is that is a profound statement. Not to mention the fact that it comes from the lips of the Son of God, <laughs> but, but if even if just it would just human bumper sticker wisdom is still profound. Right. But for God in heaven to tell us, "You'll be better off if you become a giver rather than one who's always trying to be a receiver." That's better for you. Then, then that that it really helps us take a different look at where we're turning. Uh, to so find happiness.
0: Okay. Wow. Um, there's so many questions that I want to go into now. <laughs> um, you know, from a, a finding our joy and our identity in Christ um, to, oh, wow. All right. Um, okay. Let me ask that one more question then, and then we really will get into our, our, our five questions. Um, so how is this, how is our joy connected to our identity in Christ?
1: Well, it all begins right there. Yeah. And what I talk about in the book is living out of that identity. But if I'm not secure in who I am, uh, then how am I going to be able to share that with others? We talked for just a minute, a a few moments ago about forgiveness, uh, about, about how we can offer forgiveness to others. Well, the great story on forgiveness in the Bible is John chapter 13, when Jesus washed the very feet of the disciples, the same feet they're going to carry them, uh, running away, betraying him within a matter of hours. And, and he said, uh, you know, if I, your Lord, and master, have washed your feet, so also you should wash one another's feet. So there's a one another concept Now Jesus was able to do that, John says, uh, at the beginning of the chapter by saying Jesus knowing who he was and where he was going rose from the table and took on the garb of a a servant because Jesus knew who he was because he was secure in his identity because he knew he was headed to heaven Mm. then he could do this extraordinary act of grace well that's where it begins if I know who I am if I know how I have been forgiven if I know that this life truly is just a heartbeat and I'm going to be at home uh, before I even know it then that enables me to have the uh, wherewithal the courage to, to to do things that typically i would not do so i think understanding our identity where we're come coming from it, that empowers us then to to do things we couldn't do otherwise it, the, the book unpacks the one another verses you know love right, one right, another right forgive one another, encourage one another, but we can only do those to the degree that we perceive they've been done to us. Right. And, uh, and, and as we receive those, then we're able to turn around and, and give those to other people. It's a, it sounds like it's all about the posture. I like that word. Yeah. Yeah. If we can, if we can understand that if we can be in the receiving posture first, then we can be in the giving posture that follows. All right.
0: Well, thank you very much for that. Um, I, I do want to get into our uh, our five questions. It's been a while, uh, so uh, Max, what what's your main point of emphasis right now uh, with your team?
1: Well, uh, we're in the middle of a transition as a church. We we have we've uh, for fifteen years have. Uh, been a multi-site church. We're going to continue to be a multi-site church. However, we're in the process of releasing our campuses to be independent churches. And um, we're doing this for a variety of reasons uh, that, that probably would take a whole nother broadcast to describe. Uh, one of them, which though is, is yours truly, you know, I'm 64 years old. Uh, I'm realizing that uh, I need to uh, set these churches up for success and, and if they're de- dependent upon me as a teacher, and I'm 64, 65 years old, you know, it's probably wise for us while I'm still healthy, still able to be engaged with them, for, for us to release them to, to, provide, their, to provide their own leadership. Uh, this has been a little more complex than we thought it would be. Uh, one of our staff members says it's a lot easier to... Uh, to to launch something that it is to unlaunch it. (laughs) And and I think he's right because we created these multi-site campuses with the idea that we'd always be, uh, you know, working out of the same strategy. When we felt that it was time to change that, uh, we had to think through everything from real estate to staffing to central support. Uh, But you know what? It's working and there's a lot of enthusiasm around it right now. We released two of the campuses here within two weeks Uh, and it's going to be, it's, it's, it's really been a great move for
0: us. Well, you know, I, I asked the questions in, uh, in this particular order for a reason, because I wanted to know who, who you, who are you guys learning from as you go through this process, as you go through this transition, you know, what are you reading? Who are you looking at both sacred and secular organizations? You know, who, who are you learning from right now?
1: Well, fortunately, we have uh, a couple of, of, of guys on our staff who have had experience in doing this in other organizations. Uh, w- our executive pastor is a, a fellow who came to us out of the banking uh, industry, and he was a part of witnessing this happen. And uh, to us, to a consult in a consultant level, uh, he he was a part of helping other banks divest themselves of either different companies or organizations. Uh, we have our, our financial director was uh, on uh, an associate, uh, on the team of the CFO of an organization called Valero, which is the largest oil production company right. in our city, in San Antonio, and there's Valero stations all over the world. And and he was a part of similar, uh, similar uh, uh, events or decisions, with Valero, and so they have been extraordinarily uh, an extraordinary blessing to us. And so I, I I couldn't say that I've got a book on my shelf that's been the go-to book, right. but I have two guys on our team uh, who have who have come to us I think providentially and have provided extraordinary insight and help.
0: Now, were they from? Uh, were they from the church? Or
1: yeah, yeah, both of them were. One of them was already on the staff uh-huh. uh, when we made the decision. Our finance guy was already on our staff, and the other guy was one of the elders in our church, and he agreed to come on uh, in a uh, kind of an interim uh, level to 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 oversee the to, to provide direction as during this process. And so, uh, he's been especially helpful in divesting the real estate or in figuring out ways to, uh, uh, we are blessed. We have some great properties around the city, uh, but we also have some debt. And so everybody wants the property, but nobody wants to take the debt. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. Right. Uh, but he was able to, to put together a, uh, template, uh, that allowed us to all agree upon what level of debt each campus should take. And uh, everybody's at peace, believe it or not, which is an extraordinary mirror. Everybody's at peace with the debt they're taking with them. And of course they take the property with them as well. Right, uh, But it's a manageable debt and uh, everybody's at peace. They think it's fair. And uh, that was all his doing.
0: So uh, how do you create for those, for those listening, you know, in a lot of our churches out there, we have um, people in the pews that are leaders in business, leaders in the community, and they don't always tap into the church and the the especially the business of the church or sometimes even serving in the church. How do you create an environment that is um, – uh, where you can see this thing happen and and yeah. how do you create an environment to actually encourage those people to leverage? I mean, you know, it's not just God's given them spiritual gifts. He's also given them talents, abilities, and experiences, um, business, vocational, otherwise that, that, um, that come into play here. How do you create that environment?
1: Oh, uh, you're assuming that we have, I don't know <laughs> if I would get that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I you I wouldn't give myself an A on that. I'd, I'd say maybe a B minus. Uh, it's been something that I've struggled with. Uh, that and and and, and fundraising, uh, leadership development and fundraising are two areas that, to be quite honest, I've, have been challenging for me. Uh, I love pastoral care. I'm a good listener and counselor. I, I love my favorite days are sermon preparation and, and maybe... The only better day is sermon presentation. I love to preach. And so you, you bring up an area though in which I feel like I could have done better through the years. But one one thing that, that we have done is that we have tried to uh, keep the church informed in the major decisions that we are in uh, that, that, that we've made and we've created open forums. For people to come and share their ideas on how best to make this transition, has anyone done this before? If so, we'd love your input. And consequently, we have people uh, kind of like the fellow that I was just describing, who had surfaced and said, "Hey, I was a part of this." Uh, in that case, he's a very good friend of mine, so I probably would have recruited him anyway. It's so not like I, he was sitting out there and I didn't know about it. But but there have been many occasions when these open forums like on a Wednesday night, uh, which we invite people to the equivalent of a, a town hall meeting to ask their questions uh, and try to answer them. That's when we've surfaced these people and tried to put them in a good place where they can use those gifts uh, to, for the benefit of the church. That's good.
0: Well, I appreciate your uh, your candor on that uh, response as well. I mean, you know, I think there are just as many people who um, will learn something and garner something from uh from that as if you you know kind of made something up on the spot so I greatly <laughs> appreciate that well i'm I'm, I'm pretty sure that um that that has happened once or twice on our podcast before where i'm like oh i think i caught that person off guard i'm not sure <laughs> not sure about that um but but do greatly appreciate that You've probably
1: heard about the movie Overcomer, but you may not know that there are a few books and Bible studies inspired by the film. One is called The Fine by Alex Kendrick and Stephen Kendrick, which is a book and Bible study based on insights from the book of Ephesians. You can find these books and Bible studies at lifeway.com slash
0: overcomer. So let's uh, let's move into our, uh, our third question. Other than the spiritual disciplines, I'm going to put that caveat out there, What are one or two things that you do daily that helps you stay sharp as as a pastor and leader?
1: Yeah, Um, you know I've always worked out, and and I if I go four or five if I go two or three days without a pretty intense workout, I'm not. I can feel I can feel the difference. Uh, right now, I'm a part of a, a thing called CrossFit. Maybe you've heard of CrossFit. <laughs> and I love it. I'm, I'm there 8 a.m. every morning, and uh, I'm the old guy in the group, uh, but they, they put up with me. I'm the weakest and the slowest, but I, uh, they put up with me because I make them look so good. Uh, I, I love that. And then um, – um, I think the, I think the other thing that I do every day is I try to I try to write uh, I I I'm a, a pretty avid journaler I, I write things down it helps me think things through uh, if I write them down and uh, that that I guess would qualify as a spiritual discipline but also it, in in a sense I'm writing down these pros and cons. Uh, ups and downs of life, the good things that are happening, the challenging things that are happening. And I go back and I read that journal. Uh, it becomes such a resource to me to be reminded of, oh, I made that decision because, oh, that's right. I, I, I realize it, it, it becomes a resource for me to go back and look at whenever I'm making decisions in the future. Uh, I, I recall when I was trying to make a major decision about uh, if I should change my role at the church or not. I went through and read last year's journal and I, I starred all the times that I expressed that I was particularly unhappy or unsatisfied in a, in a, in a particular meeting or day. And I, I saw that there was a, a, a theme uh, I found myself that I had allowed myself to get involved doing a lot of things that I really don't do well. And, and it was creating, I'm, I wasn't doing it well and I wasn't very happy as a result. So that journaling, that daily writing gave me a reminder of, uh, and proof of why a change would be appropriate.
0: You know, I love that. Uh, one of the themes that I think continues to come back and I continue to point it out um, is that when we look at uh, good leaders, uh, a lot of us are in the leadership positions that we are because we were intuitively good. but it's only when we shift to, you know being more intentional um, that we find that you know next gear. And um, I love the intentionality uh, of not only journaling but then being able to go back and walk through that and pull, that out, extrapolate that out is, is a beautiful thing. And I just want to point that out to our, our listeners that, you know, just that shift from uh, intuitive to intentional is helps often helps you
1: find a new gear. Well, it really does. And and if I can just follow that up with a a couple of more examples Uh, here, I've been at this church since 1988 uh, that I think that's a lot of sermon series. I I, I really have covered a lot of territory and uh, I'm not leaving the church, but I am thinking, are there any topics uh, that I've never preached on Uh, again under that theme of just being intentional? And there were two that, that I realized I had never taught on Uh, one of them, believe it or not, I had never taught an extended series on the Holy spirit. Uh, that's much to my chagrin when I realized it. And then another is that I had, uh, taught on the day Christ returns, but I had not taught on the theme of interpreting prophecy, right. uh, from, from a more of a dispensationalist view. And, and I had backed away from that topic because I thought how in the world can I make it where I can present it on a Sunday, right. uh, message, and then, to be honest, studying the Holy Spirit seemed like such a big topic that I think I'd backed away. So I gave myself that assignment two years ago, and I, and I did. I preached through the book of Daniel, really emphasizing the uh, the prophecies and understanding what it means to be a person who, who believes that these prophecies will be fulfilled. And right now, I'm about to kick off a series uh, called Alive in Us, uh, the life, the mystery and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just thoroughly enjoying it. I'm thoroughly, and I'm the one benefiting the most. And so it's it's it, it has been good for me to try to take on tasks more intentionally uh, that, that I think the church would, uh, from which the church would benefit.
0: Oh, good deal. All right. Uh, let's move into our fourth question, which is, what does leadership in your home look like maybe and maybe how has that changed over the years
1: yeah you know I I, I read this question as you sent me the list in advance <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my wife and I celebrated 38 years the other day um, and it's just, we my marriage has been the happiest part of my life I, I don't I don't say that I, I certainly don't want to say that because I would want anybody to who struggles in their marriage to to feel undervalued. Uh, I, I'm just so lucky. I'm so blessed. I really, I really married a person uh, for whom I have great respect. Uh, who is beautiful. Who's sexy, and, and and who's a lot of fun. And so I I've never really thought I need to be a leader of my wife. That just never was part of my vernacular. Um, it more of, I'm going to pray for her. I'm going to, I'm going to make the decisions I need to make. I'll, I'll do my best to provide and spiritually, uh, physically protect her. Uh, but boy, she's just a, she's just a, a great person. I, I would say that for me, leadership right now in our empty nest means that I'm going to honor my wife. Uh, I'm not going to do anything that would, uh, cause her to be uh, suspect or concerned. Um, even at the age of 64, uh, she, uh, and she alone has the passcode to open up the filters on, on my computers and smart devices. I, I, I that was, that's part of the, the step that we've taken just to protect our marriage. Uh, I still do not travel with a um, with a female alone. Uh, I still do not do conversations with females behind closed doors. And I've been, you know, I've had younger people say, "You're, you know, that's you don't need to do that anymore. We've moved beyond that." Maybe you don't, but I do. I do, and that's my mess. One one way I send a, a message to my wife that my marriage is. Is, is worth protecting. Um, and, but then, then again, I, I think I've got a great watch So it comes a lot easier. <laughs> well, I do have a,
0: a slight confession now. So when we started, I told Max, I said, Hey, um, we found that, you know, generally speaking video, we, we, we turn off our video, but I turned off my video. You didn't turn off your video. So I've been watching you the whole time, and I am almost emotional uh, at this point in the podcast because you can tell with everything that you've said, Max, you are so (laughs) amazingly genuine. And just then when you were talking about your wife, man, that was legit. So I know, listeners, you can't see it, uh, and I'm the only one that can, but I just want you to know and hear that. Um, And man, I just really appreciate that answer uh, And uh, Just appreciate you And your your posture through this whole podcast So um, we're going to bring it home With one last question And that is um, And I'm going to turn my uh, camera back on Because it's not fair anymore Um, What What would you tell your You're sneaky I'm sneaky I told you I was an executive pastor What do you expect um, yeah. no. Uh, so what would you tell your 20 year old self
1: about, uh, preparing to lead? Uh, I, I think I would, I love that phrase, do the most what you do the best. And I, I know that we can't always do what we're best at. Uh, you know, life brings responsibilities that are just responsibilities. But I think it's it's wise to make it your aim to identify what you're really, what your what your high calling is, what you really succeed at, what comes, what you love to do, and what people love for you to do, and then set make that your north star. You know that I think ideally, um, every decade we should be able to do more of what we do best than we did the decade prior. Uh, I, in, in my twenties. I think it was about 50, 50, about 50% of my time was spent uh, doing what I love to do. And about 50% of my time was spent doing what needed to be done. It, either I was on the mission field for a lot of that time. Uh, and some of the time I was in a local church, but in, in my thirties uh, we were able to increase our staff from three people to five people, you know? And uh, so that it freed me up from doing certain things that I was not good at. And I made it my goal in my 40s to increase our staff even more. And and I announced to the church, I said, I think that my best contribution is to preach and to pray. And so I'm, I'm my, my aim is to make it, you know, about 75% of my time. I would say that now, uh, 90% of my time, speaking of time at what I call work or ministry, 90% of my time, I'm either writing books, writing sermons, uh, talking about books or preaching sermons. That's really a privilege. Hmm. I mean, I know I'm blessed. I talk to people every day who spend all day uh, doing what they really don't like to do. So I realize I'm I'm in thin air here. But I did make that decision as a younger minister. And I think that's wise. Identify what you do best and make it your aim over the years to do that more and more.
0: Hmm. So good. All right, I'm going to... Uh... I'm going to throw a question in that I have never asked on the five leadership questions podcast, but it just occurred to me. Uh, and I want to, maybe this is, maybe this is what I'm going to start adding, but you know, a lot of the people that listen are pastors or are uh, on staff at a church, but a lot aren't. They're, they're church leaders. They're, they're business people who happen to lead in their church. Um, can you tell me a story about, if you look back on your life at the, two or three women, women or men of God that have kind of helped shape you and make you who you are um, that weren't pastors. Can you give me like one or two examples and, and, and one example actually and,
1: and why? Why? And these are people that really shaped my life.
0: Yeah, like it may have been a a Sunday school teacher early on or, you know, this is just normal people. The the people uh, that—our church, I mean, you know, it's the army of people in our church. Uh, Just just tell about how—I mean, you obviously have had uh, an amazing life, an amazing ministry. Your books have spoken to so many people. Um, but I want to hear about one or two of those people that nobody has ever heard of yeah. that made a big impact on your life. i
1: got a great story. I've got a great story. All right. Uh, and he had a great name, Moody. Isn't that a great name? of like Moody College. Yeah, yeah. His first, first name, Moody. Um, his, his name was Moody Connor. Uh, he was a, uh, football coach in our high school, uh, where I grew up in a small West Texas town. He was good friends with my father, uh, and uh, he and his wife would join us for dinner on occasion. Uh, he, he was a leader in our church. Uh, he was a uh, former lineman on a national championship football team from college, and he had uh, taken a coaching job in our small West Texas town. And somewhere between middle school and high school, he was having dinner with us, he and his wife were having dinner with us uh, in our house. And uh, he knew me somewhat because of my father. Uh, he, My middle school years, I was fraught with insecurities. I know all middle schoolers are, but I think I had more than my share. Uh, I had two good friends, period. I didn't have any friends outside. Of I had never succeeded in anything. Uh, that would make me popular. I was pretty good at, at school, but I was not good at football. When I went out for the basketball team, I scored a basket for the opponent's basket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I tried the golf team and I and I, that stunk. And so um, he knew I, I was kind of a loner. Those two guys that were my friends were both moving. So I was about to go into high school without any friends and I was very insecure. So over dinner, he said, here's what you do, Max. I want you to come out for our freshman football team. And I thought, I'm not going to do that. By the end of the meal, he had convinced me to try. And he said, here's what you do. If you'll show up and try hard, you'll make the team. I remember that phrase, show up and try hard. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of become a mantra of my life. I'm just going to show up, you know, showing up at CrossFit all these years right, later. Right? And I'm trying hard, trying hard. And you know what I made? I not only made the team, I became a starter on the team all because of Coach Moody, Coach Moody Conner. Right. And there he was. uh, He's become a picture to me of the Holy Spirit in some ways, because the Holy Spirit is that advocate, that champion of our hearts. Right. uh, Who says, show up and and I'll make sure that you're. So he helped me. He coached me. And and I think he he never could imagine the boost of confidence that making that freshman football team provided me and, and really gave me a whole new circle of friends and, and changed my, changed my life.
0: Oh, such a great story. Yeah.
1: yeah, Thank you for letting me share that. I've never gotten to talk about him publicly. Oh, that's great. I I believe he's passed away. I know his son is living. Uh, and, uh, and that makes me want to reach out to his son.
0: Well, you know, it is those it is those stories, it is those things that sometimes go unsaid and unsung, and they just you know, there are people that um that made me who I am that you know have passed away already. Uh, one of my youth leaders, uh, a lady by the name of Kim Furnish, she you know uh, died of cancer. She'll never know uh, this side of heaven. I guess she does now, actually, uh, but you know. It, just the fact that um, there's so many people in our churches that the the legacy it, it really isn't what you yourself do. It really is who you develop and who you're pouring into. And um, I I don't want to. I'll go ahead and tie this back to your to your book. It really is. Uh, it this is not a pay it forward thing or anything like that. It's understanding uh, who your identity is in Christ and moving from Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's by grace I've been saved to figuring out I'm his workmanship and what am I supposed to do with my life and how am I supposed to just show up and try hard where he's placed me? I'm not supposed to be this, you know, grand. I'm not supposed to be what I see on social media. I'm just supposed to show up and try hard. That's your next book, Show Up and Try Hard, Max. That's pretty good, isn't it? It is really good. It was really good. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing your, your, your heart, your ministry uh, with us on this podcast, but also over the years through, um, through books and so many other
1: thank ways. Uh, just really, really great to you. connect with you again. And boy, you do a super job. You oh, do. Thank you. You make it painless. Oh, well, thank and, uh, you very much. I've been in painful ones, but this one's painless.
0: <laughs> good deal. <laughs>
1: All
0: right. Well, hopefully uh, you incorporate that story into your series.
1: Okay, I'll
0: do it. (laughs) All right, talk to you later. Thank
1: you, my friend. Thank you, sir.